Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Life is made up of many gorgeous moments. Cherish them all, big and small, with Blue Nile. Whether it's for yourself or a loved one, Blue Nile's unrivaled selection of expertly crafted fine jewelry and statement pieces help make all your moments sparkle. Blue Nile's experts are on hand to guide you, and their diamond guarantee ensures you get the highest quality at the best price. Celebrate a life well lived in the most radiant way and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, guys and girls. The program you are about to hear will be both fun and educational, but it is not a substitute for medical advice. Although we are doctors, we are not your doctors. Hello and welcome to Travel Medicine. As always, I'm your friendly neighborhood internal medicine doc, Dr. J. Heyo, Dr. Santosh here, pediatric infectious disease doc and researcher. Santosh, mm. I've always said that you're a fun guy. <laughs> and sometimes these episodes are condensed, so there's not much room to say it in. Oh, oh, I see which way you're going with this. I don't know that I would liken it to that. <laughs> That's not well. I guess that's half fungus, half algae. A- I'm just algae? trying. I'm trying to mold a proper response. <laughs> Today's another day. <laughs> Yesterday is gone forever. You're, you're downright not just any ologist, but mycologist. That's <laughs> uh, so good. Oh my gosh! I'm trying to figure out a pun for the word spore, but I don't know what to do with it. But, as much uh, as I've enjoyed this verbal sporing, yes, we have. Our listening audience may wonder why all the unnecessary mushroom puns. To which I respond, "There's no such thing as an unnecessary pun." I have recently begun watching the television show The Last of Us. Are you familiar with it? Yeah. Well, I had to get a little bit familiar with it. I know of The Last of Us because it's been a video game franchise for a very long time. And I know of it through pop culture and that kind of a thing that it is a zombie type, you know, post-apocalyptic, you know, people are infected and trying to run away from the infection or hide from the infection, that kind of a thing. Outside of that, though, I don't know much more about it. All right. So bare bones, no spoilers, okay. but exciting for you. One, right. they're not zombies. They okay. are infected, and they're sure. infected specifically by the cordyceps fungus, that <gasps> zombie ant fungus. Oh, oh, gotcha, gotcha. Okay. So this is, as far as we know, in our day and age, like in real life, outside of the TV show, cordyceps infects insects, 
And the long and short of it is that it takes over the body of the insect and makes it go where the cordyceps wants to go, which generally is to like the highest like leaf or stalk. Like you take an ant and you make it crawl all the way up so that the cordyceps can bloom from the like the forehead of the ant and release a bunch of spores and float through the air and then those spores go and infect other insects it's cr- it's really creepy very clearly does not infect humans but we'll get to that in a moment for the purposes okay, of the show it does got it and you have somebody with natural born or maybe acquired immunity mm-hmm. oh okay okay a young a young girl ellie okay. and then you have the mandalorian himself pedro pascal <laughs> Okay. Escorting her across a dangerous landscape. That's Wh- that's the bare minimum <laughs> that you need to know. Josh, Pedro Pascal escorting a precocious child across hostile territory. That's the Mandalorian, Josh. That you're getting him mixed up. Well, if you took his helmet off, it would yeah. be The Last of Us. You're telling me that Pedro Pascal got another role where he is escorting a special young person through hostile territory (laughs) Uh, it's a typecast (laughs) let's talk a little bit this episode about some infectious fungi first the infection model for the video game cordyceps and then i would say the closest real world equivalent but there simply isn't a zombie fungus that will make us act this way However, there are a couple that will drastically alter your appearance and or your behavior. And we have, I think we've covered zombie science before. In fact, I'm pretty sure we have maybe two or three seasons ago. And our primary kind of uh, target that we were talking about as, you know, what would make a good zombie virus, we were thinking about rabies. Because that actually does have mind-altering capability where uh, a person becomes hyper-aggressive and hydrophobic means that you know they actually choke or gag when they try to get to water. And they have, you know, even a human, like after it gets to later phases, they have this horrible compunction to bite. Um, and like zombieism, it's incurable. But this is a different type, right? Because cordyceps as far as we see with insects is a little bit more, I don't know. It's, it's kind of insidious. It's, it's like, it's more purposeful than just making the animal like aggressive. Let's differentiate last of us cordyceps from real world. Yeah. Okay. In, in the show, the infected are the result of a sudden outbreak of a mutant cordyceps fungus that thanks to the fungus's ability to adapting to climate change can affect human beings instead of insects. Uh, in the video game, it originated in South American crops. In the TV show, they reveal where it originates from in episode two. See? Spoiler free. No, uh, okay, fair. <laughs> and But once you're infected with the fungus, it gets into the brain, grows mycelium inside the tissue, which kills the cells, erases their memories, and thus drives people insane modifying okay. their instincts to seek no goal other than spreading spores. Yeah. Eventually the fungus will then kill its host and continue growing out of the host body to spread spores. Yeah. So that's kind of the creepy part, right? When it 
eats away at the brain matter of that insect, whatever it is. So spiders, ants, then it leaves intact the motor neurons. So the animal can move around, but all it wants to do is get to a high place with lots of wind so it can release spores. Like that's, that's all it cares about anymore. Again, minus the brain control, all of this very plausible. Okay. The infection can be from inhaling spores or from transmitting through an infected bite from another individual. And there's an incubation period. You know, you're gradually turned into a runner over a period of two days with the infection turning the area red and black and making the person sweat profusely, become disoriented, increased aggression and irritability, all things which, again, you can see even just with regular sepsis or... uh, septic infections it doesn't have to be fungus ones Uh, the last stage in the life cycle is the carcass of the plant zombie will find in a dark moist corner to die in preferably one that doesn't have a high pixel count (laughs) sure sure because that's hard to render in the dark yeah Uh, but the fungus will continue to grow and this is why quarantine zones are so important in the show and the game because they're places with significant airflow meaning a low spore concentration so you don't have to wear the gas mask in the game or you'll see them wearing a mask in the show i guess in this particular case the the gas mask doesn't have to be very very you know high filtering because Uh, Fungal spores are rather large in comparison to other particulates um, in in terms of inhalation. So it it would have to be a good tight-fitting mask, but you're not trying to filter out teeny tiny molecules like a toxin or something. These would be, you know, rather large spores. Humans infected with the fungus undergo various stages, which increase in severity the longer the host has been infected. Okay. Runners are the first stage and begin to experience hair loss, discolored skin lesions, and bloodshot Mm -hmm. eyes, progresses to stalkers that have significant fungal growth around their eyes and shoulders. Skin can begin to peel from the face, often causing the nose to fall off as the fungus breaks open the skull. Oh, gosh. Okay. (laughs) Okay. All right. I mean, it is a horror game, so, you know. No, no, yeah. (laughs) So, okay, got So, basically, they're losing their human features as the, you know, the the fungus starts to take over parts of the body. Sure. Clickers are horrifically mutated by the infection. By this stage, the skull has been split open due to advanced fungal growth on the brain, growing over or outright destroying the host's eyes only leaving behind teeth, the skin oh. <laughs> covered in mold and scaly fungal growths. That's why they click, just the uh, what... slamming of teeth together. Uh, okay, gotcha. Sure, sure. Okay. And last but not least, mm-hmm. you have bloaters, where the fungal growth is so advanced that it now forms armored plates on the host, Okay. while the gas produced by the spores causes the body to bloat significantly, uh, which offers it some protection against the elements. So now the fungus is kind of trying to protect itself. The timeline they give is stalkers or people between two weeks to a year. Okay. Clickers are infected at least one year and bloaters have been infected for several years. So even though you're infectious disease and not 
technically a mycology toxicologist. Sure, sure. <laughs> Although, you know, I I study a different eukaryotic pathogen. I, I study uh, toxoplasma, which, you know, so I'm used to thinking about, you know, th- these more complex pathogens. Well, I wanted to know, are there any existing fungal diseases that correspond to any of those phases that you can think of yeah or even in terms of the incubation period where you know having a infection for over a year could change speech patterns or several years could lead to scaly plaque-like growths oh i see i understand yeah yeah so not i i can't think of course of one fungus that will do all of this if we take away the zombie aspect, if we take away the mind controlling, you know, trying to either the you know the runner stalker kind of thing where it's changing their behavior, and we're talking about the appearance, um, there isn't going to be anything that can survive so long that it'll like split open the skull and take over <laughs> take over the human where the human will still be like walking around. So that that's way too far. But yes, mold infections. Um, So we have endemic molds here in the United States. In the Southwest, in the Sonoran Life Zone, the deserts of Texas, Arizona, um, the Central Valley of California, we have coccidioides, imitus. Um, There is histoplasma, which you can find in bat guano and caves, and then blastomyces in kind of uh, middle of the United States uh, along the Ohio and Mississippi River valleys. So these exist as a mold form in you know, nature. And then when it's just like you said, inhaled, uh, it can sometimes be inoculated through a cut, but usually inhalation. It'll get into the lungs first, and in most of us, they will cause next to no problems. You know, you may have a transient fever, you may even get as bad as to have a pneumonia or something like that, and then your immune system will clear it, your T cells if they're intact. But if people are immunocompromised, in some cases if they're unlucky, um, what will happen is it can spread usually causing pulmonary damage first, so lung damage. But yes, coccidioides, histoplasma, they convert over to a yeast form. So from a mold form to a yeast form inside of our bodies. And inside, it can definitely get to the central nervous system where it can cause brain lesions. And of course, you know, it's not going to cause zombieism, but it'll cause brain damage and it can almost act like a mass, you know, almost like a tumor and cause all the same symptoms that would come with a brain tumor, depending on its location. And if it does grow on the skin, um, coccidioides specifically, you can have, you know, fungal growths that look like, you know, big, lumpy, bumpy, scary things. Um, outside of that, yes, there are other fungal species, uh, chromoblastomycoses that you'll find in Asia and penicillium, which can likewise infect uh, immunocompromised people. And these, if they get on the skin, 
um, you can have these scaly, bumpy, ugly fungal growths coming on the skin, which can be quite disfiguring um, and stigmatizing, actually. Um, so we we work not only to treat the patient, but actually to get rid of the stigma. So, so some- none of these would be in none of these would all combine into one single infection, right. but you could see a lot of very similar designs if humans ever were to be plant infected. Yeah, <laughs> I, I guess so. Yeah. The, the other big important part of this is that all of these diseases are uh, largely, largely not transmitted human to human. So they're environmental. They actually don't want to get into a human host because we're kind of a dead end host for them. They can't really replicate and spread. Um, a lot of them want to stay in plants and transmit that way. But <clears throat> we can't cough it back up or bite anything and transmit it. They don't grow spores out of our skin or anything like that and and break off. Um, they stay kind of contained within the host and you know eventually is cured or kills the patient. And then if somebody else were to get infected, it's really because they are also in an endemic area where that fungus is growing in the soil or on rotting plants or something like that, and they inhale it. Um, in in large amounts, so it's unlike the Last of Us cordyceps. It's not human to human transmission. Now let's talk a little bit about the real world cordyceps, not yeah. infectious oh, yeah. to humans, and in yes. fact consumed in food. Oh uh, yes, uh huh. Mostly people, dis- mostly you see it in the east. Uh, usually it's described as a mushroom, but as we've said, it's it's more a parasitic fungus that grows out of the head of what it's taken over, whether it's an ant or a ghost moth. And it is used in uh, traditional Chinese medicine to treat coughs, chronic bronchitis, respiratory disorders, but also as an aphrodisiac. Wait, what? what? <laughs> it, there's a whole lot of things that's listed to treat and very little evidence for any one of them in particular. Uh, it also oh. adds in kidney disorders, nighttime urination, irregular heartbeat, high cholesterol, liver disorders. You're reading through, <laughs> you're like, does it treat all these things or are these side effects? It's very <laughs> unclear. Oh, but okay. <laughs> So this is the next, it's sounding a little bit like a food fad, like a health fad. Yeah, a fad since around the 90s. Okay. Um, official records are unreliable because a lot of this caterpillar fungus goes through illegal channels through the Himalayas. Oh, (laughs) okay. Because I'm guessing, you know, bypasses like health and safety kind of things. It was important enough that your pals over at PNAS, uh, the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, did a study around 2018 that showed a lot of the trade was looking at caterpillar fungus might be on the decline or even approaching becoming as endangered as a parasite can be due to all the smuggling of it going on without any studies being done on whether or not it's effective in what it's being smuggled (laughs) to do. Sure, which is, that's not at all uncommon for some of these, you know, uh, questionable natural type of remedies and stuff. Yeah. Oftentimes 
oftentimes when it is touted as you know, a remedy for something, Josh, whatever the substance is. So, you know, quinoa is a superfood, you know, that kind of a thing way back when there usually is some health benefit that you can find for a particular disease or, or condition or something. And then, you know, oh, we can sell this to rich people and it gets exported and then the reputation gets overblown. Well, this one, again, still has no real studies that show it does any of these things. But sure. let's talk again about between The Last of Us, where climate change has now made it warm enough that it could infect humans. So one of our biggest defenses oh, from not becoming plant-influenced zombies <laughs> has been the fact that most parasitic or fungal infections cannot survive in the high, high temperatures we have evolved to live at. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, 30, 37 degrees Celsius, right about there, uh, plus, and which is, uh, you know, for Fahrenheit people, you know, 98.5, 97.5 in and around there. Um, it's inhospitable in our bloodstream, in our core temperature to most environmental bacteria and fungi, which is why we're not, you know, overgrown all the time, even though on our skin and in our gut, there are bacteria thriving just fine. There's four obstacles that a fungus has to overcome to successfully puppet a human. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. It has to be able to grow at a high temperature above 37 degrees Celsius, 98, mm -hmm. 6 Fahrenheit. It has to be able to reach the tissues that it will parasitize. Mm -hmm. So wherever it enters, it has to spread. Yes. Um, by penetrating tissue barriers or circumventing them through small airborne cells like spores. Uh, it has to be able to digest and absorb components of human tissues. No point taking over us if you can't actually digest us. Yeah. And it must be able to withstand or evade the immune system, which is why you see so many fungal infections in the immunocompromised or, well, in the immunocompromised, such as people with uncontrolled diabetes or organ transplants. Hey everyone, I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash post. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. On immune-suppressing medications. Mm -hmm. HIV. Um, late stages of HIV and AIDS. Yep. So uh, let's look at one of the most successful fungi that have adapted, Candida albicans. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we have Candida. Pretty much, you know, you you swab any person in the Western world, 
And you have a pretty good chance of finding candida just even on their skin. So what does a fungal infection look like under the microscope? Because that's part of what makes candida so successful. Yeah. So, well, you have a couple of different phases, right? And it's almost a balance between the two. One is just colonization, meaning that the fungus is just hanging out, in this case, on the skin surface. Uh, You know, it's gathering nutrients from dead skin that you're shedding and oils and maybe even some of the bacteria that live on your skin. So there's this kind of nice balance. And then Josh, what happens is if the chemistry of your skin or your hygiene or your immune surveillance, something tips in the wrong direction, favoring the overgrowth of the actual candida of the fungus, then it, you know, first of all, it grows a lot. And then um, there is possibly an invasive phase, right? And so either it invades into the skin or your skin, you know, tries to produce some inflammation to fight it, right? And then you get that itchy, ah, that rashy thing. And that's what that fungal infection looks like. Oftentimes it can mimic a lot of different uh, you know, bacterial cellulitis, or even even like an allergic rash, it can look like that, right? Um, but microscopically, if you were to take a biopsy, the difference between colonization, where you can just scrape the fungi right off of there and then you know put it on a slide and stain it, um, and then you can see the beautiful little pseudo hyphae of the candida, um, versus if you were to take a biopsy and you actually see it invading into the skin. Um, And then, of course, if you have serious disease, if you have candidemia or something, um, then, you know, it'll actually do something like growing in the bloodstream. Or if you take a deeper sample, you'll see it invading blood vessels, which is scary. Um, But that's only if, you know, you're in, in real, real trouble. So Canada can switch between these round yeast, elongated pseudohyphae, filamentous hyphae, and as a fungus that infects healthy humans as well as immunocompromised ones, a large portion of its time is spent switching between these forms to evade the immune system. Right. Yeah. So it, and it's actually, it it doesn't really switch the way that, for instance, Coxie does. It's just that the individual little, uh, yeah, uh, not quite spores, but the, those hyphae that they're building are not the same hyphae as a mold. Um, they're just chains of the individual candida cells. And then those things just break off individual and they look like these little oval shaped, almost like giant bacteria. You know, and it produces yeast, which diversifies the population with more mobile cells. It can mm-hmm. digest human macromolecules, uh, so it meets all the criteria, and that's why it, it's one of the ones that we're most worried about becoming a superbug and resistant to all drugs. But let's bring it back to the one that I think is one of the most eye-catching if not disfiguring of all the fungal infections and yeah. the one that currently already is affecting humans. Unfortunately, the largest in India, although we have seen a spike in cases following COVID. And of course I'm talking about mucormycosis. 
Oh, yes. Horrible bastard of a mold. <laughs> I hate that thing. So the very first case was described by Friedrich Kuchenmeister in 1855. <laughs> Josh, what have I told you about making up goofy-sounding names? He was also the head <laughs> of the Cremation Society and encouraged people to earn themselves. It was like the Earn <laughs> a Living Foundation, which... Curious. Okay. Go to the wiki page. Okay, guys. <laughs> if you prefer, we could talk about the first person to notice it in the lungs, who was uh, in 1876 a scientist by the name of Furbringer. Uh, <laughs> okay, so this makes a lot of sense, right? Because germ theory and uh, everything that came from the discovery of microbes was first with, you know, Leeuwenhoek. And then, of course, Joseph Lister and all of these folks from Germany. Mucormycosis, also known as the black fungus, yes. is curable only when it's diagnosed very early. Otherwise, very high fatal fatality rate. Uh, signs and symptoms depend on where in the body it's located. Most infections begin in the mouth or nose, and enter via the eyes through, again, all these spores. Yeah. Um, and most often you'll see, you'll have a runny nose, one-sided facial swelling and pain, a headache, changes in vision, maybe some bulging of the eye or displacement. And it's usually spread through inhaling contaminated food or contamination of open wounds, with its being a fungi found in soil. Right. So this is like I was talking about with some of the endemic fungi, like coccidioides, and we'll talk about a couple of others, which are really common, like aspergillus. These are fungi molds, in this case, that are found ubiquitously in our environment. You know, if you work in the outdoors at all, so if you work on a farm, if you work with animals, these are not really pathogens. They're just fungi living out there in nature. And you and I, Josh, we actually encounter it quite frequently. We inhale it. It just hangs around. Our immune system says, you know, here and no further. And sometimes it can maybe cause some allergic symptoms in some people, but often not. And, you know, we just live with it. We live alongside it, no problem. If your immune system gets knocked down in the right way, specifically if you have uh, cancer, you're being treated with broad chemotherapy, and your neutrophils, your granulocytes are, are knocked down. Um, if you have bad, bad diabetes and you're an older person who has lived with uncontrolled diabetes, if you've undergone an organ transplant and you're getting immune suppressants, um, and then, you know, if you're undergoing a stem cell transplant, maybe for cancer, you know, and you're calling a bone marrow transplant, um, now this same fungus, you and me, we inhale it, it's, it's circulating all the time, no problem, but now it can take root. Okay. And the reason, Josh, why it is so hard to diagnose is because it's still uncommon in terms of the list of pathogens. Even in immunocompromised people, it's lower on the list. And it acts pretty much just like any other mass. So, yeah, yeah it does cause inflammation and this kind of a thing, but there's nothing terribly unique about it. 
It'll just take root in the compartment, just like you said, in the sinus or in the nose, and it'll just grow and grow. And whatever it's pressing on or pushing on, that are, is the symptoms that it'll cause. And here's the toughest part, Josh. So yes, absolutely. You have to think about it early. You have to diagnose it early by actually getting a biopsy. Um, but the treatment really we don't have any good antifungals against it. You have to surgically remove the infected tissue. And sometimes that means debriding quite a bit, including semi-vital tissue. So sometimes the cure causes quite a bit of disfigurement in and of itself. And it has to be done because it's a very fast-growing fungus. That's very true to video game logic, as well as invasion of the blood vessels by these foreign hyphae can result in blood clots and strokes due to a loss of blood supply. Now, under a microscope, you see wide ribbon-like filaments that branch at right angles, which the textbook says resembles the antlers of a moose. (laughs) I don't know how many moose, meese, are walking around... (laughs) With yeah. perfect 90 degree antlers, but <laughs> so I do want to clarify this, and this is actually very important. There are occasions where there's enough fungus that's seen on biopsy, meaning that you just um, you know, you take a section of the tissue and place it under the microscope and you look at it in the tissue, and you can clearly see, oh, okay, this is, you know, mucor family. And by the way, there's lots of different um, mucors. There's mucor and rhizopus and rhizomucor. It's really creepy. But the one thing you have to do ultimately is actually culture it. So taking the live tissue over to the lab and growing it and looking at it under the microscope there, because there you can actually create a mature form of the mold and you can diagnose it much, much easier. This is important, Josh, because it can resemble other molds, okay? And if you get the diagnosis wrong, if you if you diagnose it as the wrong genus or species of mold, you can end up using the wrong antifungal and putting the patient at risk for progression. Although it almost always comes down to amphotericin B or amphoterrible, yes. which... Yeah, amphoterrible. We nowadays have new generation azoles, voriconazole, posiconazole, and Josh, isovuconazonium. And uh, we do have the uh, the newer classes of echinocandins. And my very favorite, Josh, my very favorite newer newest antifungal, Ibraxifungurp. It's Sounds actually... like a very derpy demon in Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> I am Ibraxi Fungurp. <laughs> yeah. So this is a triterpenoid. Uh, and I, I, <laughs> That's yeah, not yeah. bitter. No, it's not. It's not. I have to actually look up to see if it has proper uh, activity because it, it does have activity against candida and um, some aspergillus and non-aspergillus molds. Um, but we're, uh, we, I think we're finding out if it's useful in this one, this, these yeah, mucor. Listen, you're, you're a triterpenoid. Yeah. But, <laughs> but yeah, I, it took us all this time. Like we had all these like fluconazole and uh, you know, 
Boza Khan is all like it. It sounded really cool. And then someone came along and called the next molecule, you know, not just a triterpenoid, <laughs> but a Ibraxifungurp. <laughs> ah, I love it. Well, this still needs to be treated surgically and often because of the speed at which it grows, removal of infected brain tissue can be required, as well as the common removal of the palate, nasal cavity, or structures in the orbit, the bones around your eye. Yeah, um, it's, And that's it's, because it's fatal in about half, mm-hmm. half of sinus cases, yes. two-thirds of lung cases, all cases where it gets disseminated into the blood, and the lowest mortality is if it's just infecting a single wound, not in your face, and that still kills about 15% of people with the infection. Right. So it's a little bit like debriding cancer, Josh, that has local spread. You not only have to resect the tumor in some cases of aggressive cancer, but you have to create what's called a wide margin, meaning that you do have to take out some healthy appearing tissue because there may be spread of fungus into those tissues that you can't see with your naked eye. And in some cases, you know, the, the surgeon is actively sending samples to the pathologist and saying, Hey, do you still see fungus in here? And, you know, you have to cut away more like, you know, sometimes healthy, sometimes, you know, fairly vital tissue. Late breaking, as I'm reading, uh, Ibraxifungurp is not highly efficacious against mucor, unfortunately. No, it's amphotericin. That's it. Yeah, <laughs> it is. We we have salvage therapies now using mycofungin and anidulofungin and uh, capsofungin, caspofungin, but you're right. It, the, the mainstay is still surgery, and then you have to give horrible, you know, disgusting antifungals, um, you know, in order to kill it. So And oddly... We mentioned it's a soil parasite or a soil fungus. Mm-hmm. Um, rates of mucormycosis in India, humongous, about 70 times higher than the rest of the world. And that was before COVID-19. They actually saw about another four to five fold increase in cases following covid yeah, there. this fungus is endemic to certain areas, number one, and there is kind of environments in which it thrives, um, including, you know, rotting plant matter and that kind of a thing. And, you know, if you're in a tropical zone like that with a highly populated, a heavily populated area and lots and lots of farms, which you see in India to produce the food to sustain all those people, that's when, you know, you're, you're really, really going to see a ton of these. It does come up even more, Josh, when there is the aftermath of a natural disaster or catastrophe because it is in the soil. So anytime lots of soil gets kicked up. So 2004, the Indian ocean, there was a tsunami and afterwards there was a huge outbreak. Um, 2011, you know, when tornadoes tore through Missouri. So instances like that are are where you can see these things pop up and again they're not going to affect everybody they're not going to go after uh you know all of us it it really are those 
who are aged, who have horrible, uncontrolled diabetes. Um, you know, it, you've had the fortune to get an organ transplant, but now you're on immunosuppressants, so now you're vulnerable to these. So we try very hard to actually do prevention rather than treatment for these because that's so much better. And a lot of that is actually avoidance of gardening, outdoor work, um, which can be tough if that's your livelihood. You know, you get a fungus and whether it's coxie or aspergillus, which, you know, we didn't talk about much in this episode or mucor, any of these things, if they get to your brain, much, much more likely to actually just kill you <laughs> and, 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 you know, destroy your brain rather than turn you into a zombie. Would you say aspergillus shares anything in common with these cordyceps infections that we've described from the game? Uh, Does it well, turn you into a runner, a clicker? <laughs> no, no. Unfortunately, it'll, it'll destroy your lungs a and weezer, get into your brain. So maybe a, a gasper. Yeah. <laughs> a gasper. <clears throat> You can, you can, but it, it won't have that, you know, mind control of trying to get out and spread. Like it's, it's not going to change your, uh, you know, your motor instincts, um, to kind of go seek out like a high, high point to go spread spores or something like that. Um, it'll, it'll, you know, just eat away at tissue, unfortunately, uh, you know, unless it's, uh, addressed and taken care of. Uh, but I will say, Josh, if a lot of these molds, you know, especially the mucor, like what you were talking about, if they get into healthy tissue, uh, into your mucosa, like your nose and sinuses, or if they get onto your skin, you could potentially see quite a bit of that, you know, that fungating growth, um, you know, flaky kind of dry piling uh, tissue kind of stuff that, that kind of looks like a fungus, you know, on your skin. So that to that aspect of it, that disfiguring part of it, yes, unfortunately, you can see that. So don't be a terpenoid. Yeah. Make sure <laughs> yeah. that you keep your blood sugars under control. You follow up with your doctor and don't take soil to the face. Yes, please. Wherever Especially, possible. Yes. As, you know, if, if you are on immunosuppressants and everything, we want everyone to live a very happy and full life. But, you know, you, someone donated an organ to you, you know, just you're on an immunosuppressant, stay away from soil and manure and all that fun stuff. So that's it for this week. As always, we love to hear your comments, questions, and feedback. If you'd like to support us spiritually, emotionally, or financially, links to do that are in the show notes, along with links for further reading. Thank you so much to everyone who is subscribing to us on ACAST. We are trying to give you at least one useless conversation a month. And don't feel like we're going to limit it to just that. <laughs> uh, our theme music is composed by Rachel Leisure. The show is produced by me with a lot of help from Dr. Santos and friends. And until next time, keep a song in your heart, soap on your hands, a shot in your arm, and watch out for dangerous zombie-based fungal infections. <laughs> oh, God. Josh. Find, no, no. 
find a country that doesn't have some sort of apocalyptic outbreak. Zombie if you can't don't, don't exist. <laughs> if you can't grab Pedro Pascal, get him to escort you across the countryside. <laughs> and when you... you've done all of that, <laughs> yeah, happy yeah. travels. Uh, happy travel. If you do uh, have Pedro Pascal escort you across a wasteland, take pictures. And post them because that's that's awesome. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. In manufacturing, you need to automate intelligently to compete effectively. But not all automation solutions are created equally. AGVs and AMRs driven by Bluebotics Ant technology offer robust, accurate performance and native interoperability. Because your material handling can be smarter. Visit antdriven.com. That's antdriven.com to learn more.